Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new JPD Weekly. Have you heard of the Testament of Enos. We are going to be talking about this today. It is a Dead Sea Scroll. What makes this document amazing is, is it was actually found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's very fragmented, of course, but this isn't that. This isn't something that's claiming to be one of the testaments of the patriarchs, and it's found in some Bible somewhere. And who knows if it's been changed over time? This is uh, the, the fragments of the this testament have actually been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's one of the uh, testaments of the patriarchs, which if you've been watching the show, you might be familiar with that. Um, basically, the, the Qumran community, uh, back before the time of Christ, at least 100 years, but probably more, um, they, they interpreted their Old Testament through documents that they had called the Testament of the Patriarchs. And these documents were like the last will and testament of, uh, you know, Adam, and Enos was Adam's uh, grandson. Uh, so every all of the early people would have had would have had these, but it's basically from Adam to Aaron, uh, and some of these exist today. Some are lost. Uh, some are, are claimed that they're real, and you got you got to take it case by case. But what's amazing about these documents is the ones that we know are are you know, actually that old, like from at least 100 BC, because you might say, well, maybe the Essenes just made it up. You know, the Pharisees said that what the Essenes have as the testimony of the patriarchs is, is all made up. Of course, they had uh, oral Torah, which that was made up as well. Uh, but they, they claimed that against the Essenes. But we can date them to at least 100 BC, so 100 years before the time of Christ. And what adds some real legitimacy and evidence uh, towards these being real is that they contain prophecy. There's some amazing prophetic things uh, written in these testaments and in the other writings of uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls that could not have been known 100 years before the time of Christ. And in this document, we actually get quite a bit of messianic prophecy, which is uh, phenomenal. So I wanted to go through some of this and talk about it. There's not actually much that we have because, again, it's it's very fragmented, but there's enough here to show that they had an understanding of who the Messiah is, you know, being God incarnate and the future, uh, the second coming and, and what we have ahead of us. So it's really amazing. And I wanted to talk about that today on this episode of JPD Weekly. So for this type of thing, I really recommend the work of the work of Dr. Ken Johnson. He has a book all on the patriarchs, and that is the best place to go. Now, due to like copyright issues and, and things like that, it's actually hard to find like just free translations of some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and this one is is really hard to find. So uh, there was something that I was able to pull up from archive.org, and it's 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 fragmented and it's hard to read and the whoever put this online there's a ton of misspellings so they have like lowercase i's in place for l's and stuff so what i think is the best way to handle this um my my commentary is directly from uh, dr ken johnson's uh book 
Um, I mean, he has a commentary on it too, but but from his translation, you know, I read it and then I took some notes of my own and, and he also has a video on it that you should check out. Uh, but because of copyright stuff, I don't know. I, I don't think I can just put his book up, you know, for everybody to read because uh, that, that was his translation. This is somebody else's translation and it's apparently available online for free. So we're going to look at that and I'm just going to kind of read through and we'll try to we'll try to get through it as best we can and then I'm going to give you the commentary and point you know my commentary on it and point you in the direction of Ken's book. So again, this translation that I'm about to read, it's it's a free one online. It's not the best. Uh, it's not the most coherent and it's it's kind of hard to to get through, but we'll, we'll get through it together, but just hold on through that part uh, because afterwards is coming the commentary and that's going to be a lot easier. Um, so th it, it actually has some notes here, which is interesting. It says uh, 10 fragments, including three large ones, has, have survived of a manuscript written with the Herodian characters apparently recording prayers. There's no direct reference to the person in whose mouths the words were placed, uh, but the context seems to indicate that the first fragment is associated with Enos or Enosh, um, who according to Genesis uh, was the first human to call on the name of the Lord. Okay, so this would have been Adam's grandson. Uh, and then it has it has a couple other notes here, but it, it says that there's like inferences made and um, stuff like that. But here's here th this is pretty much the the whole thing here. Now I, I think Ken Johnson did a much better job translating it and and kind of putting it in, into something we can read. Um, so, but he, we we just have what we have. So it says uh, I something because uh, again it's fragmented. All their festivals in their ages, so something about festivals, in thy marvels, for from old times uh, thou hast ordered for them his judgment until the age of determined judgment through all everlasting commandments. Uh, and then th this part here is how we know that it's Enos, because uh, it says, Kenan was from the fourth generation and Mahalalel, see, see how this translation, it says like I, capital I, capital V, capital I, uh, Mahalalel, uh, his son was the fifth generation and Jared his son and Jared his son was the sixth generation and Enoch his son, Enoch was the seventh generation. So um, you can actually just take these back because uh, you, you find out that from one of these, it says in, in Ken Johnson's translation, one of them says, my son. And so then you can tie it back to Enos. But anyway, um, then column two, thou hast imparted thy name as his inheritance to make thy name dwell there. She, Jerusalem, holy city, uh, is the glory of the territory of thy land uh, and on her Thou something, thine eyes on her, and thy glory shall be seen there. For to his seed, for their generations, an everlasting possession and all, thy good judgments thou hast purified him for uh, an everlasting light, and thou hast established him for thee as a firstborn son. And we'll talk about that because that's interesting. Uh, something his as a prince and ruler for all the territory of thy land, the crown of the heavens and the glory of the clouds thou hast set on him, and the angel of peace in his congregation, and on him, and 
uh, or excuse me, his congregation and given him righteous rules like a father to his son. Thy soul um, clings to his love for through them thou hast established thy glory. Okay, so obviously that's incredibly fragmented and it's, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to read, especially with all of these uh, misspellings, even in English. I don't know why, whoever put this up here, I don't know why, like, you know, Jerusalem is a Q in it for some reason and, you know, light is I-I-G-H-T. I don't know. But again, we're going to deal with what we can, make the best out of it. Uh, so, but what's, what's, really good is is if you go to Ken Johnson's book about the patriarchs and uh 12 the 12 patriarchs and, and look look at his translation he he does a much better job in my opinion and you can actually read it and it makes sense um so if you have that and you can get it for really cheap too Ken sells his books uh for for super cheap but um if you're wondering where to get it uh you can just go to uh, here, I'll put it on screen share. Just go to BibleFacts.org. Oops, that's Bible Gateway. Go to BibleFacts.org. And uh, this is this is Ken's website. And you can go down to, uh, or up here, up to the upper right-hand corner to store. And then the book that we are talking about is right here. This is uh, the Ancient Testaments of the Patriarchs Autobiographies from the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in case you're not familiar with what the Patriarchs are or what we're talking about, uh, here's the description of the book. Autobiographies from the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Talmud teaches that the ancient patriarchs were all prophets and that each one of them left testaments for their descendants to read. These contain commands for their children, moral lessons, and prophecy. This legend is not only repeated among the Essene community, but fragments of 20 such records have been found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In this book, you will read for yourself the Testament of Enos. That's what we're going to be commenting on today, Adam's grandson. Enoch, Lamech, Noah's father, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Levi, Judah, Naphtali, Joseph, Benjamin, Kohath, son of Levi and father of Amram, Amram, father of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, and Aaron. You will see many extra biblical prophecies of the Messiah, including Aaron's warning about the Messiah's first coming. Uh, brought to you by Bible Facts Ministries, BibleFacts.org. Okay, so that is what we're talking about. I highly suggest you go and you, you can get a Kindle version and uh, you can get a free Kindle reader on Amazon and you can just get the, it's eight bucks. So go and get it and you'll get all of these testaments. But, um, you know, it mentions the the Talmud. Uh, the Talmud, the Pharisees, the Pharisees. It mentions the Talmud. the The Pharisees said that yeah, there was basically uh, you know testaments of the patriarchs, but that those have all been lost. Whereas the Essene says, no, we have the Testament of the Patriarchs. We didn't lose those. How would you lose something so important? Uh, but your oral Torah is wrong. That is just completely made up. Uh, so that that's kind of what we're looking at. So so don't take you know, don't take the word Talmud and and let that like freak you out and 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 let that turn it into something that it's not. Um, so I'll I'll kind of talk about my commentary, my thoughts on this. So in fragment one, column one, we immediately find out that there was a concept of repentance because it mentions, it mentions uh, repentance. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm commenting on the Ken Johnson translation, Dr. Ken Johnson translation, not the translation that we just read, because that one, 
again, it's the one that's free on, uh, you know, online. So uh, if, if, if it's free, then you can pretty much expect for it to be kind of like that. Um, but fr- so this is commenting from the Ken Johnson translation. But there's a uh, there's a direct concept of repentance. And it also talks about festivals in their periods. So there is at least a concept of what's called Moedim. And the festivals we know about in the Old Testament, they're not just historic, but they're also prophetic. And we talk about that quite a bit on this channel. Actually, we talked about that last week and the week before. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, we also read about an ordained judgment day, meaning that that day is ordained. It's set. Uh, it, it's set and recorded somewhere, you know, and in Ken Johnson's translations, uh, it says the, the eternal commands. So it's amazing to think that um, Enos or Enosh uh, would have learned this from Seth or Adam or by direct revelation from God. And we also know that this is Enos's testament because, like I said, uh, his, it says that his son is Canaan. So we're able to narrow it down to Enos. Um, rather than someone else. Now, before we get to fragment two, I want to talk about some of the background, the backstory here of what we're talking about. Now, Genesis 5 tells us that Enos was a son of Seth. So Adam was his grandfather. Enos was born 235 years after creation, if you do the math. So this would have been the ancient Hebrew year, 235 a.m. Now, uh, the, or, or Adam Monday, but the the testaments are when uh, someone was getting old or someone was getting ready to die. You know, they would write their testament their, to their kids. Uh, it was like some final thoughts, some teachings. Uh, sometimes it even included prophecy. You know, it's kind of like today how we have a last will and testament, and then the testament is is read after the person passes away. It was kind of like that, but with like an extra spiritual flavoring on it, because there was again a lot of moral teachings uh, in these in these testaments. Um, uh, and, and there was even some prophecy too. Now, Josephus records a brief quote about the Testament of Adam. Uh, and this is the prophecy about the flood, how the, how the earth would be destroyed once by water and once by fire. Um, so we get that, that quote, but we don't actually have the full Testament of Adam, but apparently it did exist in the days of, uh, Josephus because he, because he quoted it. Now, in the book of Jasher, Um, And Ken Johnson has uh, a translation of Jasher that you can pick up too. Um, And if if you have that, you can go to that. And this is actually in the 2.35 a.m. section uh, where he's talking about Enosh. We see that uh, in Jasher it's Enosh. um, Just like how, you know, there's Elijah and Elias, depending if you're talking about Hebrew or Greek. So you have the same with Enos or Enosh. But we see Enosh is born, same person we're talking about here. Jasher says it was in the days of Enosh that people were rebelling more against God and angering him. Uh, They began uh, the very first idolatry. And God brought a small flood from the river Gihon as sort of like a type of warning, you know, even destroying a third part of the earth. But again, we don't know what a third part really means. Um, they still didn't turn from their evil ways, but we, we don't know how much a third would have been because we don't know how many people were really on the earth in those days. It wouldn't seem like there were, there would be a lot, um, you know, how, however many people 
could come from just two people in a little over 200 years. But apparently a third of those were destroyed as kind of a warning. But they still didn't repent. So Enosh's son Canaan was able to later lead a small revival and bring people back to the Lord. So the book of Jasher talks about that. Um, So Adam... You know, because of sin, uh, sin kind of thrives in the days of Adam. Seth isn't really able to, you know, his son Seth isn't really able to do much about it. And in the days of Enos, it gets really bad, all of this sin. So then Canaan was able to lead a small revival, but it doesn't, it doesn't last for very long, according to Jasher. Uh, and then if we, if we read even more, if we read further, uh, Enoch later on, this, the seventh generation was able to lead a larger revival, but that doesn't, that doesn't last either. Uh, and then the flood comes to destroy the world. So that's kind of the backdrop. Now the backstory specifically on Enos's testament, uh, the the keepers of the Dead Sea Scrolls um, in Qumran, they would say, again, that they know the Old Testament by way of the patriarchs. And we, we kind of mentioned this, but it's sort of like how we know the New Testament by way of the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's sort of like that. The Pharisees say that the patriarchal testaments are invented, that they used to exist, but... Um, what they have now is is wrong. It's just totally made up. Which again, if you have these important books, these important testaments, how could they get lost? Because we haven't lost the Old Testament. We haven't lost the New Testament because people know that they're important and they copy them faithfully. So you would expect that that would have happened as well. But the, the point is that the Pharisees wanted to believe things that the patriarchs the the testaments of the patriarchs were completely against you know they completely contradicted so instead of um turning their teachings around and turning their theology around the pharisees just said that well that's made up you know that that's uh that's all made up it's kind of like how people want to believe something so they'll deny the bible you know today uh because they want to believe something or they'll deny parts of the bible you know there are some people that want to believe that um that we as Christians need to be put under the law of Moses. And if they take that to its logical conclusion, they end up having to deny Paul. So instead of fixing their theology, they'll say, well, Paul was a false prophet. We can't trust the writings of Paul. And they'll start getting rid of parts of the Bible. So that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were doing that same type of thing with the Testament of the patriarchs. They were saying that it was made up, it was false, and, and that we need to ignore it. Um, now I will say, you know, we as Christians, we don't hold it to the same standard as, as like our our Christian Bible, you know, we don't hold it to the same biblical text. Clearly, um, these, these writings weren't preserved in the way that the Old Testament books and the New Testament books were, uh, all we have are like fragments and little pieces, but the pieces that we have, uh, actually point towards the Bible, which is really interesting. So the Pharisees would go by the Oral Torah, which uh, that was eventually written down in the second or third century. Now, Jesus, what's interesting here is Jesus said that the Pharisees make void the word of God by their traditions, and he called it the traditions of the elders. And that would have been talking about the Oral Torah, the elders. So Jesus could have been directly, probably at least indirectly, but but uh, but referencing the oral Torah as wrong and saying that it makes void the word of God. So by default, that would that would sort of be 
not a direct endorsement, but that not a direct endorsement of the the writings of the patriarchs. But at the time, that was the only other option. It was either oral Torah or it was uh, testament of the patriarchs. Um, so to deny one is, is almost to like accept the other, unless you just deny both. But at that point, you're 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 not going to believe anything Jewish anyway. Um, so the oral Torah, you know, which was eventually written down in the Talmud and stuff like that, this is the stuff that says there's no virgin birth. You know, when the Messiah comes, he's just a man. He's not God incarnate. Uh, but the patriarchal writings say the exact opposite. So as a Christian, we would say that whatever the New Testament says is our theology. Um, if you take the New Testament theology and how it interprets the old and compare it with the Essenes, Pharisees, and Sadducees, if you compare it with all of those and all the other subgroups, the only thing that it matches is with Essene doctrine, true believing Essene doctrine, because there were there were false heretical uh, people calling themselves Essenes that weren't really Essene. But the, the true Essene doctrine matches up uh, pretty perfectly with Christianity, and it doesn't match anyone else. So the Essenes, in a sense, uh, are our brothers in that way. We actually come from them. Uh, now, it's it's... The, the Testaments would start with Adam, though, again, we don't have that except for that one quote, and it would go through until Aaron, and then uh, the, at that time, Moses begins writing what would become the Old Testament. So the Old Testament would pick up from there. Uh, so the Testaments of the Patriarchs are kind of like a pre-canon for believers. Uh, the Old Testament is sealed in the time of Ezra, so we read about that. Uh, and then we have this intertestamental period, which uh, some Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, historians like Josephus, books of the Maccabees, and others help fill in that intertestamental period of about 400 years. And then we have the actual Messiah, Jesus. We have the New Testament. And then after that, we have the church fathers. So the main thing to keep in mind here is that the Old Testament and the New Testament have been sealed closed. Those are preserved. That's our Bible. So we, we're not trying to add to the Bible. We're not trying to add things to the canon. That's not the purpose. But we're trying to get some context for what we read in the Bible. It's just like how if you read... A history book on ancient Israel to learn about their ancient customs and, and rituals to help explain uh, why th certain things were said in certain ways in the Bible. You know, it, it's the same kind of thing here. We don't hold it as as uh, scripture the way that we would hold the Bible, but it does kind of it, it does help us understand some things in the Bible. And there's some amazing things in the Dead Sea Scrolls, especially prophetically. But again, we're not trying to add that to the Bible. So the Testament itself, as we saw, is incredibly fragmented. It's very small, uh, and it's called 4Q369. It has two columns. We already looked at the first column, but it's also called the Prayer of Enosh. Uh, it was found in the Qumran Caves, and if it really comes from Enos, and clearly this wouldn't be the original, it would have been copied uh, throughout time, uh, throughout the generations, Th but if this if this is from Enos, then that would this would be the oldest known writing that we have from any of the early patriarchs today. Now, even if it wasn't, even if somebody again were to say, "Well, the Essenes just made all that up," you know, they they just wrote it down. Well, there are there there are prophecies. We we know that they are at least a hundred years before the time of Christ. That's about the latest that you can really put these, um, and. We know that there are prophecies in there that directly point to Christ and things that they couldn't have known before the time of Christ. So how, how would we explain that? Um, now, according to the Essenes, they were led by the Holy Spirit. 
And the Pharisees would say that prophecy stopped, which is interesting when we think about it in terms of our day-to-day. The Pharisees say that prophecy stopped. The Essenes would say, no, prophecy didn't stop. It continued with us. It just stopped with you because you're heretical. Um, So we looked at uh, column one. Let's get into column two. Now, as we talked about the she here, um, as we find out later, is referring to the holy city. This could be either earthly Jerusalem or new Jerusalem. And there's Dead Sea Scrolls that actually talk about uh, the new Jerusalem. And there's a new Jerusalem scroll even, which is really interesting. Um, Now, the descriptions here are identical to Revelation. So again, we're not adding to the Bible. Uh, but it, it's it's just really interesting. Now, this fragment is amazing because it's all about the Messiah, the second column here of Enos. And we actually get a pretty good chunk of it that's that's uh, not all fragmented and messed up. Um, but it's all about the Messiah and how he is co-equal with God and is God. You know, it says that he loves you and he has your spirit. Um, that and, and again, that's from the Ken Johnson translation. But it says he loves you. So Jesus loves God, and he has your spirit. He has the spirit of God. The spirit of God dwells in that physical body of Jesus because he is God. He's God in the flesh. Uh, so it's, it's amazing to think about that you actually get some, some like Trinitarian teachings in there. You, you can actually find the Trinity in the Dead Sea Scrolls. But even if this, like I said, even if that was made up like the Pharisees claimed, this was found in Qumran. It's known to be at least 100 years before Christ. So it proves that they knew the Messiah, the new, they knew the coming Messiah would be God incarnate, which is amazing because the Pharisees didn't teach that. They taught that the Messiah would just be a man and he would, um, he would come and win a, a big war and then give power back to the Jews or, or the Pharisees, really. Now, apparently, um, Apparently, there's this story about Shem and Eber after the flood, uh, and I believe this is in Jasher, but after the flood, they go and rebuild Jerusalem uh, or, or something, and there's evidence that a Jerusalem existed with a temple and everything before the flood. So if that's true, then it makes sense that they wouldn't just pick a, a random spot for Jerusalem. And so this Testament talks about Jerusalem in that way. It's actually to reestablish something uh, that was there before, just like how the new Jerusalem will be the place of the old Jerusalem. So if that's true, then Enos here would have been talking about the old, old Jerusalem, right? Before the flood. Uh, So it, it also says that this holy city, it's the glory of his earthly kingdom. Now, it doesn't say heavenly, and that's why uh, this could probably be referring to the old Jerusalem rather than the new heavenly Jerusalem or, or the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, from the time of Moses and forward, the holy city is definitely Jerusalem, and uh, that's the eternal capital. Uh, but this would mean that it goes back even further than that, that pre-flood there was a Jerusalem. And, and pre-flood, so that the Jerusalem that was built was a reestablishment of the old. Uh, it also talks about his seed. So this is probably talking about Messiah as being uh, this, the seed of God, that he's actually the seed of God, and, and um, there's an actual impregnation there going on with Mary. And so the Essenes had this understanding of the Messiah as being from God's seed which is is phenomenal because we're always taught as Christians that nobody saw it coming. Nobody knew. Well, apparently the Essenes knew. And then you might wonder, well, how does that stack up with, uh, you know, if if Satan had known that, uh, you know, this whole plan, if if Satan had known, he never would have crucified Jesus. It's, It's because while the information may have been available, Satan didn't believe it. 
You know, it, it's just like Satan doesn't believe in God the way we do. Satan doesn't believe that God is all-powerful because Satan thinks that he can beat God. So there, Satan believes and doesn't believe things. Just because information is available, why would we assume that Satan would accept it? You know, of course he's going to reject truth. That's He's Satan. That's what he does. So even though the Essenes knew, Satan clearly aligned himself with the Pharisees, or the Pharisees aligned themselves with Satan, clearly. And that's where all these weird doctrines came from, and they were all satanic doctrines. So they, there was a rejection of Essene theology or, or Zadok priest theology or Qumran theology, you know, whatever name we want to put on there. There was a rejection of that uh, from Satan. So, um, so that, that's, that's interesting that uh, throughout all generations, it says that uh, throughout all generations until the time of his seed. Um, so that's, that's interesting because after the time of Christ, uh, so, so backtrack a little bit. It says that Jerusalem, this holy eternal capital, is is like the earthly kingdom. It's his love. It's it's his all these things uh, from and and eternal passions throughout all generations until the time of his seed, his seed being Messiah. Now that's really interesting because right after the time of Christ, what happened? Jerusalem and Israel became totally desolate for almost 2,000 years. So you can see this as, a, as like a prophecy of that. You know, it, it'll be that way, that eternal city. It'll be that way uh, until uh, for all generations until the time of his seed. Now, in a spiritual way, Jerusalem still is the holy capital, still is. Now, you know, the people have come back, which is good. We got that in 1948. But even during that desolate time on earth, in heaven, there was still the, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, it also talks about the angel of your peace. And this could be talking about Messiah as that pre-incarnate Jesus, angel, second Yahweh, you know, in the Old Testament. If you follow the work of Dr. Michael Heiser, then you'll be familiar with that. It's even found in the prayer of Jacob. Um, you know, the, the, the angel uh, and a number of other places that this angel or, or messenger that is actually God that would become uh, Messiah. Now, the rest of the fragments, um, hard to piece it together, but there is an understanding of angels interceding and fighting um, against all lands. And like how in Daniel, there's the prince of Greece and Persia. And it could be that uh, a lot of the wars that we have are just physical manifestations of battles happening between angels. Uh, it also says that God judges them for their works, but we don't know if this is referring to angels or the lands. Uh, because it says, you know, angels fighting the lands and that God judges them for their works. So is God judging the lands or judging the angels? Obviously he does both, but what's, what is it referring to in this part of uh, the fragment? We, we don't know if it's referring to angels or lands, but if the angels are interceding, because it says the angels intercede for him, then it seems to indicate that these angels are on this, these angels are on the side of God. So the, them uh, in the next sentence would be the lands that God is judging. So God judges the lands and the angels uh, assist in that. And that would make sense in the time of Enos, especially since there was a lot of idolatry uh, and a lot of things against God. But again, it could be talking about uh, angels who sin as well. And maybe that's who God is judging, which would connect with Genesis 6, Second uh, Peter, Jude, and other places. There's also a mention of dominions. Um, and it, that, that is most likely all of the kingdoms of the, 
you know, of the world. Uh, could also be talking about the dominions of angels. But the main point here is that God is in control. He allows things to occur for a purpose. And while it may not make sense sometimes from our perspective, we can rest in knowing that God knows what he's doing. Uh, now, in fragment four, uh, it talks about appointed times. And that could be referencing, again, the Moedim festivals. The, the Moedim is just, just Hebrew for, for these, these prophetic festivals. Um, it could be referencing that. Uh, we also get the dominion terminology again and also generations. So there's not much that we can really pull from those eight words in the fragment. Uh, but it could be connecting what was discussed in the previous fragment in fragment three about dominions back with the uh, beginning when talking about the Moedim. If appointed times means festivals. Now, if not, it could be further showing just that point that God is in control throughout all the generations, dominions, kingdoms, uh, throughout all appointed times, and that God has all uh, at all times and has all times appointed for certain things. Now, like I said before, we really only have those eight words uh, there, so we can really only speculate. But that might be something about prophecy and how God is in control of that as well, that there's appointed times for everything that we read in prophecy. Um, then the, the very last fragment, fragment five, all it says is just without you. So we have no clue what that's talking about. It's, there's not enough there to know what's being discussed or really be able to comment on it intelligently. Uh, so that is as far as we can really take the testament of Enos. Um, so there, there's interesting things that we can pull out there, but the, the main thing is that there was an ancient understanding of Messiah being uh, the firstborn son of God, being God incarnate. Uh, and it actually uses that terminology, firstborn, uh, his spirit. It uses all that. And this was at least a hundred a hundred years before the time of Christ. This could have been from all the way in the beginning, from the time of Enos himself to 235, 235 years after creation. But even if we just take the late date of 100 BC, that is still amazing. So Jesus didn't come on the scene and just make all this stuff up, right? Um, th this was already something that was prophesied about. It was something that was already understood, but it was rejected by the Pharisees and Sadducees. And uh, the Zadok priests went out to Qumran and had their community there and, and continued on through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So absolutely amazing and something that we're not often taught uh, in church because just a lot of people don't know. And the, these things have kind of been kept hidden. Uh, but again, we, we, got, we have the scrolls now. They, they weren't really starting to be understood until about the 1990s, especially with the calendar and, and everything that we've talked about. So that really, it, it really adds a lot that, you know, the main point is that Jesus is Lord, obviously, Jesus is the Messiah, uh, and Jesus is God incarnate. Um, you know, there, there is a trinity. There's Jesus, the Father, Holy Spirit. There is a trinity, but it's, it's all God. And while that might be impossible for our minds to really understand, 
it's still talked about in, in the scrolls. It's talked about in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the church fathers. It's, it's wherever there have been true believers. This is the common thread. And, and, and Jesus being Messiah, being a part of that trinity and coming and dying for us. So it, it is perfectly appropriate to say God came and died for you. And if you have faith in him, if you believe in him, then you will be saved. You will be, and it, that is the only way to heaven. So amazing to think about. Um, but it also tells us the times that we're living in, the time must be getting short because God is allowing all this stuff to be revealed in our time. He didn't have it revealed 500 years ago. He could have. Um, he, he could have had it to where this stuff was never lost. But for some reason, he decided that throughout the the previous parts of the last 2,000 years, he had other priorities in mind. But now, near the time of the end, it's important for us to know this stuff, and this stuff is coming to light. There's even a uh, prophecy in Isaiah about the old one speaking out from the dust of the earth that Ken Johnson believes is talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I, I think that's correct. I think that's right. So um, we are heading into some tumultuous times. We're already in some, but it's going to get worse. And I want to talk about that more uh in the members only section that there are pastors that are, are noticing this and calling Christians to return to God that America is perishing unnecessarily. And so I want to talk about that because there's, there's real application to our lives here and there's definitely prophetic uh, significance. But in order to get that, you have to head on over to dailyrenegade.com and get a membership. It is only, um, $10 a month or $100 a year. I suggest getting the $100 a year because you get two months free that way and you only have to pay for it once. You don't have to think about it for a whole year. Uh, so that helps out a lot. It helps our ministry. It helps uh, what we're trying to do. And then you get the full episode of JPD Weekly. Now, again, the reason that we're doing that is not that we're trying to be greedy. Uh, YouTube deletes our videos. We can't trust them to be fair. We can't trust them uh, when they when they say that they'll keep their, you know, that, that we can just upload things that we can't. So they delete our videos. We want to make sure that we can have have full control over what we say. We don't want to have to ask YouTube permission to talk about Jesus. We want to be able to just talk about Jesus. So in order to do that, we have to set up the website, but it costs money uh, to, to do all that. That's why we that's why we set up uh, dailyrenegade.com. So head on over there, get a membership, and you'll get the rest of this episode and many more. All you have to do is click on that red button that says uh, mem members access above the free videos on the homepage or in the in the links on the top toolbar, you just go to members area, click on JPD Weekly, and um, JPD Weekly members, and then you'll get the rest of this episode, and you'll find so much more content there as well. We are trying to be the Netflix of fringe Christianity, so you can't go wrong. Uh, make sure you do. We will see you over there. So uh, members, hang on the line. Everybody viewing for free, thank you so much, and until next time, take care and God bless. All right. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.